You're listening to Finn Too Deep. To a back to throw, blitz coming, and get to him. No, he takes off running, and he's he in. It. Touchdown, Miami! With the sixth pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, the Miami Dolphins select Jalen Waddle. Giving you unfiltered, informed, and controversial takes on the Miami Dolphins and the NFL Draft. Here's Reason and Neil. Welcome back as we dive in, Finn, too deep with your host, myself, Reason, and my co-host, Neil Driscoll. Neil, coming off a 17 <clears throat> to nine victory, um, you know, forced as many turnovers as we did defensively, but only winning by eight points, you know, amongst other things, i.e. the offensive line performance. Um, you know, we now have a three-way tie for pressures allowed between Eichenberg, Davis, and Jackson through all linemen in the NFL. Um, you know, there was just a lot, you know, Jacoby missed my boy Kirk Merritt streaming under through him. Merritt was gone. Um, just, you know, Gaskin finally gets a 20-carry game and only manages 34 yards. You know, defensively, a lot to like coming away from. Offensively, a lot not to like. So the win was uglier than a girl who didn't get asked to the prom. And it just was, you know, it didn't really feel like a win at the end of the day. And then now on a short week, we got, um, we're recording this Wednesday night. We got uh, Baltimore coming up tomorrow. You know, the questions linger about Tua and if he's going to start. So again, another tumultuous week, even when we win to be a Dolphins fan. Um, how are you feeling? Where are you at, Neil? Well, you know, I, after losing seven straight games, I, I, you know, I'm not going to complain about a W, but I, I think it's as ugly as a W as you could, you know, you could get. And, and I, you know, one of the, the reasons, you know, we won the game is because Tyrod Taylor flipped a, a late pick to Jerome Baker, which was so lackadaisical and set us up for a score. Where, you know, if he just probably throws that a ball away and punt, who knows what the outcome of that game is. But, you know, watching that game, I kind of had an epiphany and I really started to feel sorry for our defense because not only do they have to pair, uh, you know, prepare for the opposing team's offenses, the Miami Dolphins offense hurts them just as much as the opposing teams do. I mean, the position that they're put in on a consistent basis because of the turnovers and, you know, it's just, you know, the defense can do its job for so long before, you know, they're going to be exhausted, right? Like they're, they're fending off another team's offense while their offense doesn't move the ball, punts, turnovers. And, and it's, you know, again, you know, I'll take a W whenever we can get one, but God, did I leave that game feeling underwhelmed? Because if you took the score out of it and just watched the game, you would have probably thought the Dolphins won this game like 30 to to nine, right? Like it looks like they completely dominated this game. Um, You know, What's maybe the most concerning takeaway that I actually have is I knew our running game sucked, but when we played, you know, the Houston Texans who were ranked 32nd against the run in the NFL and we had 20 carries and we couldn't even break 40 yards rushing, like we're at like a historic level of bad. And and that's what's going to be really concerning, especially when you have a team on the docket coming to Baltimore. I mean, like, you know, I mean, Baltimore coming into town. I mean, it's going to, it's not even going to feel like a Dolphins game. I mean, the Ravens fans travel to that stadium well. You know, um, it's an easy two and a half hour flight. 
I mean, the last Neil, three. You want, you, want, you, want, you want something scary? Yeah, I do. So we played the Bills with Tua, right? Everyone right. hated on Tua, and, you know, Tua coming off back-to-back good weeks against, you know, the 12 passing defense at the time, Atlanta, and then a not-so-good passing defense in Jacksonville. Um, we put up the numbers people wanted, but we didn't obviously get Ws anyways against, you know, one of the top defenses in the NFL being the Bills, you know, two or through for 205 yards. But as a team, you know, as an offense, we put up 262 yards against the Bills. Well, this week against the, uh, against the Texans, against a very poor defense as an offense, you know, we put up 262 yards against the Houston Texans. Um the Texans actually outgained us by 10 yards. They put up 272 yards. You know, Tyrod was just flat out bad. Awful. You know, 24, 43, 243 interceptions when he had never thrown an interception before. You know, 112 passer rating, 10 touchdowns, no interceptions in all of his previous matchups against us. Jacoby Brissett wasn't very good either. 26 to 43 for 244, one touchdown, two interceptions. Um, you know, you look at the fact that Tua and this offense against the Bills was able to put up as much as we were against, led by um, Jacoby Brissett against the Houston Texans. I mean, that's really worrisome to me. I don't know what to make out of that, but I know I don't like that. That's for sure. Um, because those defenses are on opposite ends of the spectrum right now. Let's not lie to each anyone right now. And, uh, you know, I'm really... This Houston game, you know, when Houston has four turnovers, but you only win by double that in terms of points, like eight, and it's only seventeen, not like thirty-eight. Yeah, exactly. I, no. I got an I got an issue that, you know, you know, people, you know, and you only held the ball for three minutes longer than the Texans. I think, again, we come from a situation where we see, yes, this offense is bad when two is in it at times, but it's bad all the time when two is not in it. Like Tua makes this offense better as much as people like I- I'm seeing these offensive performances without Tua this year. This offense is even worse than we all originally thought. Like this is not a good situation and people can have to start putting a little bit more respect on Tua's name because he is clearly making champagne out of piss right now when it comes to the coaching and when it comes to the actual personnel around him. I mean, you look at this line, 26 pressures allowed this weekend by the offense, 24 of them from the offensive line. It was just not pretty in terms of, you know, another bad week um, where Eichenberg allows nine pressures. Davis allows six Jackson four. Mance was only in for five snaps, but somehow allowed two pressures. Reader allowed two pressures. Hunt allowed one pressure. It was just, you know, Jackson Eichenberg Davis now 37 pressures each tied for first in the NFL amongst the three of them. You know, I'm going to ask you this, Neil, how rare is it to have three pro bowl lineman on one offensive line because that's the same rarity it is to have the exact polar opposite in terms of three bottom of the bowl offensive linemen on our like this is I want you they've invested all these resources draft capital I mean that's why we have the second lowest paid offensive line then again 
our wide receiving corpus is the second highest paid in the NFL, but they can't stay healthy, so they can't produce either. But anyways, these guys are staying on the field and not producing, which is scarier in terms of the offensive line. But they've invested all these resources, draft capital-wise, and you are just legitimately the bottom of the barrel. Like you're underneath the barrel right now. Like it is just a, not a good situation yet. Tua does what he does with these guys, makes it work to the, to the extent he can. You see, he can make it work against teams like the Falcons and the Jags. But when it comes to a number one, a top three defense, like the bills, no one can mask that when this offensive line is so bad. This is very troublesome that we are now into week 10. You know, they're talking about maybe starting Greg Little. Godsey's talking about maybe taking long developing plays out of the offensive playbook because the uh, protection is not holding up. This is a serious issue right now, Neil. Um, you know, this is something you know I was banging the table about preseason. You know, two things, coaching and the offensive line, and here we are. And you see how this is all working out right now. Bro, we are going this week against Justin Houston, Owe, Adolfe Owe. Calais uh, Campbell. Calais <laughs> Campbell. We're going against legitimate. Justin Matthew. You know, we are going, yeah, we are going against legitimate pass rushing options. When you look at this offensive line, when you look at it's going to be Brissett or Tua, I feel like this is just a no-win situation, even if you have Watson right now, and it's getting uglier and uglier by the game, and it really doesn't matter if the competition is good or bad. Right, and I think you make a lot of good points, and I really like your analogy um, there about the offensive line, you know, having three pro, pro bowlers, and it's even a little bit more extreme than that, right? Not only, you know, that would be like having the three best offensive linemen on one line, you know, like we have literally the three worst offensive linemen in football, all fighting for giving up the most pressures in football. While meanwhile, we have musical chairs at the center position. And thankfully, you know, Reader and Mans have played pretty well in Michael Dieter's absence. Neil, then, how have you spent these resources? And this offensive line is worse than your 2019 offensive line, which was historically worse. Like we are allowing a pressure rate the most in over 16 years. We are looking, we are literally battling. We are on our pace to become the most pressures allowed by an offensive line in the last 16 years. What is happening right now? Yeah, we've covered this for nine weeks now. It's a scheme in the coaching, and it's not going to change until somebody – Okay, we thought it would be bad heading in, Neil. We didn't think we'd be talking about historically bad, but how we're getting there now. Right, and, and and you know, one of the things that you just mentioned that I think is, I, you know, we need to have George Godsey over to play poker with us. What kind of coach is going to say we're eliminating deep shots when you have the most well-coached football team probably in the NFL coming into your place? Like, you don't think the Ravens, you know, like John Harbaugh and his That's staff. Weakness. Like, Wink Martindale, weakness. Wink Martindale is going to be bringing everything, including the kitchen sink against, whether it's Brissett or Tua. And I know our offensive line can't protect them. And it doesn't even matter because – like, here's the thing about our, our offensive line, right? Like, I do think there's a talent deficiency. I'm not I'm not shying away from that. And coaching, yep. But there is talent there that's yep. not being coached. Like, you, like, a lot of the mistakes they make are mental mistakes, not knowing who to pick up, where the blitzes are coming from. Yeah. There's nobody in football better than disguising blitzes than Wink Martindale and the Baltimore Ravens. Yep. That is why 
I, this is going. I mean, we'll get to our prediction. This is going to be a, a massacre. And, and as a Dolphins fan, I don't want to say that, but like, they, they George Gotti coming out and saying, "Oh, we're going to eliminate plays from our playbook," dude. Like, what, what? What? What are you like? What are you thinking? What are you doing? But like, you know, you mentioned it, and you know, the elephant in the room about this game is, you know, why Tua was active, and it could have been the backup, but didn't start the game. Let me ask and, you though. What do you make of a Landon? I want to hear your thoughts on this because we actually haven't talked about this. Okay. Your take on Whispergate and a Landon Roberts when he clearly looks like he said, it's coaching, it's coaching, they don't appreciate you. What what, what did you make out of what Whispergate? I, I think that was just him giving kudos to Tua and being a good teammate. I don't read a lot into it. Like, a Landon Roberts is a Flores guy. I, I don't think he was attacking Flores. He might have been talking about the offensive system. No, I don't think he was attacking Flores. I think he's talking about God's no, guys. If yeah. you and I know that the offensive system sucks, yeah. trust me, Landon Roberts yeah. and the people on that team well, know. They kind of talked about it. You remember in the offseason, Neil, when Eric Rowe said they didn't, when they talked about the offense last season and he said they didn't let him throw deep? Right. Remember? Yeah, I do. And, and, and like, you know, the, you know, I, I personally think that I – well, I don't think. I know for sure Tua wants, wanted to play in this football game. And we're at a point in Tua's career in Miami where not playing is actually worse probably than performing badly because it fits this injury-prone nine injuries th- since 2018 narrative that's out there, right? So when you think about the front office and everything that we've heard around Deshaun Watson – got to tell the, it somehow, Neil. Right? Like this helps – Anybody who wants Watson in that building, this helps their case. This builds their case. And, like, look, I honestly don't think – I want Tua to play Thursday. I don't think he is. From what I've heard, it's actually 75% going to be Brissett, and we're going to look at, like, what we're looking at last week where Tua is going to be active and be the backup. And, you know – Let me ask you this. Okay. If if, Why is is it not Jake Dolgate because – Here's my thing with that is if he's not – okay, this is your starting quarterback. Right. If he's not healthy enough to start, he's not healthy enough to dress. If he's healthy enough to dress, he's healthy enough to start because especially against this offensive line where Brissett could go down any minute. Oh, that's – and that's and that, and that that could happen, right? And this – you know, the answer to that question is it's the 2021 Miami Dolphins. Like nothing Listen, really – I'm going to throw this out here. I was told by Little Birdie two weeks ago – um, put it on my Patreon and stuff like that, that the benchmark he heard was, and this was when we still had um, the Houston Texans game remaining. So we had nine games remaining, I believe, right? Um, a little birdie told me the number he heard was five games, five wins out of those last nine to start gaining some cachet in Steven Ross's um you know, in Stephen Ross's book, and we know Tua played through. I forget which one was it—the first or second quarter where he, he hurt that hand, but he played through the rest of the game through it. Now I hear that five-game benchmark privately. Now I'm seeing the coaching staff making these decisions and shaving games off, and my eyebrows are starting to raise a little bit because right. I'm like, I don't know what's going on here, but it's just—I hear one thing, and this is before the injury popped up because even leading up to that game, Flores sounded confident like Tua was going to start. Then all yeah. of a sudden he didn't start. Right. That's the whole Bill Belichick. I don't want to tell you what's going on. I hate it. I, I hate that we don't know who's going to be the quarterback Thursday night. Because, you know, one thing that we're not even talking about, like, right, like there's a lot of fans. Up to Sunday. Like if you look at Sunday, 
there was, you know, it it looked like he was going to start leading up to Sunday. Like, of course, yeah. I, I, but just think about this though. There's a lot of fans that save their harder money to go to these games, right? Like they come from out of state, they get hotels, they buy tickets. I would have been one last week, right? And, yeah, and and if you go to a game and you're a Tua fan, whether he is the long-term franchise quarterback or not, like, you know, like I went to Tua's first game against the Rams, and as a Tua, you know, fan, it was awesome to see his first touchdown pass. I was there. It's not even that for me. It's I know he actually gives us a chance to be competitive and win. Right. Yeah, no, that that, that as well. But, like, I I think it sucks that, like, you know, you have this close-to-the-vest mentality where you don't share and you have these big secrets. Like, like. I, I just don't like the way the Dolphins are operating. I don't like right. how they've treated to it. And honestly, look. every day that passes, it, it's 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 more and more apparent to me that they don't view Tua as the long-term fixture Did at the quarterback position. Did you about Watson? No. About the lifestyle yeah. in yeah. Miami? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I mean, never had that conversation with you, remember? I brought that up. I said, "Is is it? does he want to – why would he want to come here right now? I – I got a feeling it might be the lifestyle, and if it's that, that worries me. Well, look, any of these players can we worry. We had that conversation, and Omar goes public with it. Can you right, but that? Like, bro. Yeah, but, I, you know, any player can worry you, man. Like, you know, they're, they're, like you got to think I about this. I get that, but I, I'm not dealing with other a ton of other players with these kind of allegations, and now I'm hearing it's not about football. It's about the lifestyle down here. Yeah. That I, worries I, me. That's just compounding worries. Like, I'm not saying that, like, oh, my God, like, He's a pervert, like none of that. That just worries me that that shows me his mind is in the place I don't want it to be if I want to win a Super Bowl right now. Like, yeah, I, I, I can't take a team first, not lifestyle. What you're going to be doing on, yeah, Friday, I don't, take that. I don't take that as gospel, though. I really don't, man. Like, honestly, at you, you like, I honestly understand these sexual allegations, but as a football player, there, Deshaun Watson's been a complete pro. And, and I'll, I'll say this because, you know, I, and I don't want to make this about Deshaun Watson, but, you know, everyone points to the season last year when they were whatever, four and 12. Yeah. Well, Deshaun Watson's also been to three Pro Bowls and, and one playoff game and took that oh, team no to the playoffs. Deny that talent. Right, well, yeah. And so I, I just like the whole like QB wins thing. Like, look, I don't care if he went four and 12 one season. Deshaun Watson has won a playoff game in the last three years, and we haven't won one in 21 years. So, like, that narrative to me is dead. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I like, we'll see what happens. The like, only we, narrative that really matters is with Watson is you need to build the offensive line. That's what Bill O'Brien was trying to do when he got Tunsil because listen, it was a bad offensive line. They had a great defense, but they had a bad offensive line. They had good weapons. They had Lamar Miller and they had a D hop and all that jazz. They could make the playoffs. They could make the first, second round, but they needed to go from a bottom you know, a bottom offensive line to at least top 15, top 10. That's what they were striving for because you, if you, here's the thing. If you put Deshaun Watson behind a top 10 offensive line, bro, it don't matter who the, who the receivers are. Okay. He's going to get the ball there and he's going to make plays. Yeah. He's, he's, he's amazing. That's you're not going to. Okay. The only thing Deshaun Watson has shown me is okay. He can make it work with a, without a good offensive line, but you're going to be a perennial first round, second round out. If you want to win it all with him, give him a top 15, top 10 offensive line and let the weapons fall in place. Build your defense the same way you're building it right now. You can win a Super Bowl, but the offensive line, you know, there's a reason why they gave up and everyone wanted to brag about how he hosed them for what we did for Laramie Tunsil because they believed 
what they were seeing with how good that defense was with Clowney at the time and J.J. Watt and such, that if they stabilize that offensive line, they could make a run for the Super Bowl. It all came down to the offensive line in Houston as well. People seem to forget that. Well, my counter to that, just to kind of put who we're playing tomorrow, right? You, you said that, you know, you know, one and done. Well, like, think about this, right? Lamar Jackson is playing as well as no, anyone. I said one or sec- first or second. You're going to be a perennial first or second round out. Well, yeah, 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 so my, my counter to that is I think Lamar Jackson's probably right now maybe one of the best players in football, and he's on the best coach team in football yeah. that probably has a top five roster in football, and he's been one and done, you know, practically – every year in Baltimore or not even one and done. He's one and two in the playoffs and he's turned the ball over eight times in two playoff games. So like, I, I like for me, like getting yeah, to the playoffs, as good of a passer as Deshaun Watson. As well, 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 I'm just saying getting around. to the playoffs every year and getting knocked out in the first round is a lot better than what we're doing right now. Like that's, oh, I, I, I agree, but know. I'm saying the end goal here is to win but here. I'm at a point now where say the dolphins don't even get to Sean Watson. I still don't think two is going to be their guy next year. Oh, I think I, I uh, okay. Here's what I, where I'm at right now. If they can't get Deshaun Watson, like, listen. If they can't get Deshaun Watson, I think, um, I think you fire everyone, anyways. And you know what? You bring in that new front office, that new scouting department, that new GM. You bring in someone new from another organization to bring in a new culture, new belief system. And Flores and Tua, their fate will be left in that new front office's hands. And we all know a new GM is going to want his own coach and a new GM and his coach are going to want their guy at quarterback. So it is what it is. But I think we need, I think we're running at the core and I think we need to be built properly from the, from the upstairs down to the sidelines down in onto the product on the field. So you know what I mean by that front office. I I think that they need to tear it all down regardless. I really do. Dude. No, no, no. Don't get me wrong. The reason why I'm keeping Greer around right now is you can comp- because here's the thing. I've talked about this. Greer, I'm using to make the trade for Watson, and I'm firing his ass anyways. The probably reason why I'm using him is because if I go get a new GM candidate, I know he, him, and his new coach are most likely going to want those draft picks to put their thumbprint on the team. Sure, and and and. You know what I mean? That's why Tua might get an extra year because the draft class isn't that great. This oh, the, draft class. the draft class is so, awful. So it's he awful. might get a, he might get an extra year based on that, and then because they're not going to if they're not going to want to trade for Watson, they're not going to trade for Rogers or Wilson. And Rogers, I think, is going to go to Denver, and Wilson, I'm hearing Philly. So right. if that all goes down, and and we don't get Watson, so so now we got a new GM. The year two is when when they have two first round picks with ours in San Fran is when they'll make a play for a quarterback in the first round. So Tua might be a dead man walking but just be walking for like over a year. Well you know and, I mean? yeah, and we talked before we got on on air and let's shift it back to Tua, but I'm right? I'm okay with all that. I want people to realize I'm okay with all that as long as our front office and our scouting department Neil is built properly and then that new culture, that new belief system those new philosophies funnel down to the sidelines to our coaches, whether it's their new coaches or whatever, and then on to the personnel we have on the field. We need a like we need to pluck from a Baltimore Ravens. The, the Patriot way only works when you have a Brady. Okay, 
And let's be honest, the Patriot way has only worked outside of Belichick when Mike Vrabel's done it, and that's because he learned under Belichick as a coach, but he also played under Belichick as a player, so he understands the player side from it so he can connect with that. These guys, Patricia Flores, they don't got the attitude for this. You know, Flores mm-hmm. wins 10 games, and they this front office and him got the arrogance that they're that they can do whatever they want over here with the offensive line and it's still and the running game, and it's still gonna work. Yeah, we're gonna have a ton of time to talk about what they're gonna do and should do because I because I do think it's gonna be a really interesting offseason in Miami. But kind of shifting back to Tua, like and we were talking before we jumped on air here. Just think about the 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 whirlwind that he's been in, right? He he was playing for Alabama, the best football program in the country for the best coach in college football history. And when he got injured, the, the the school and the coaching staff was flying in doctors from all over the world to do tightrope surgeries that, that only few people have gotten to get him back on the field. Now the team that spent the number five overall pick in the draft finds ways to get him off the field, whether it's he's struggling a little bit and they bench him for Ryan Fitzpatrick, whether he has a broken finger despite wanting to play, you know, they, they sit him out like, you know, the fracture ribs, he wanted to play through, but like, let's be honest, him sitting out was the thing that needed to happen. You know, he might, he might've suffered some Finger, severe I damage. He can play through bro, especially at this point of how the cards are falling right now. Not only does he want to play, I think you have to play him for not only your to. evaluation, but you need to up his trade value. If you're going to move him. Well, well, reason you and I are two of the biggest two of fans there are. I'll tell you this right now. If he misses this game, and he misses more time this season for whatever another injury pops up, then I have a major red flag that the injury-prone label that followed him coming yeah, out of college is thing. But here's the thing, Neil. How much is it of of the Dolphins holding him back? Because well, the injury— Because you know, here's the thing. The Jets game he missed last year. He wanted to go. They started Fitzpatrick. It's all because I, I talked to people. It's because— they're concerned about his arm velocity and arm strength. And now with the fracture, they're afraid of his throws outside the numbers even more right now. That's what, that's what it's about right now. Right. And I, and I, but I think that, that if the coach, like, I think that's stupid because if God's just taking out deep stuff, this guy gets a ton of zip and velocity on the short to intermediate level. What are we even worried about right now? You know, and I don't, I, I saw the, him throwing in the warmups. I yeah, obviously think that's another thing, bro. You guys are giving them – that's what's so blatant to me is that you're giving them these narratives to spin because, A, if he was really that hurt, you wouldn't have him dressed as your emergency because Jake Dolgate, the practice squad quarterback, is not that far. Okay, he's in the building. We all know that. Okay, B, why is he out there throwing? And then shout out to my homie Ghost. Ghost of Adam Gase was on the sideline. He tweeted out that Jacoby and Tua were – throwing between but between drives and Tua was catching his own football and someone wasn't catching for him. So you're putting these narratives out there that he's good enough to catch the football, he's good enough to warm up, but he's not good enough to go? Like and I, You're right. They shouldn't be holding him out and he should be playing in those games. But, you know, if that doesn't, that does not change the fact that you know his finger is broken. He wanted to go too. Fox reported that he wanted to go. Yeah, I, and I believe Let it. Him go. I mean, what do you have to lose, bro? Well, he's the ultimate competitor. That wouldn't surprise me at all. I, I do a wants to play football. He wants to prove that he's the man. Better. Yeah, no doubt. But you know, one of the things that they probably have in the back of their mind too is like, shit, we've given up. We're going to give up twenty six pressures in this game. We don't, you know, like and, and yeah, like but you know, he evades it. So 
He does. I mean, but you know, the injury prone label, like those who were who were detractors and said that was an issue. Like, if you're looking at the scorecard right now, you know, there's a lot of merit in those claims, whether the Dolphins are holding back or not. Like, let me ask you this. Okay, let me just put it in perspective. If we were right now seven and two, do you think you would be sitting out tonight? No, I, I do I do not. I do not think so. There you go. Um, that tells you exactly where this is at right now. So that's a coaching decision. That's just that's them doing it to themselves. They're not letting the kid play through it. But that's I will say this though, because I agree and we've beat the coaching staff with the hammer here, and rightfully so, and the front office. But I will say this, and it won't be a popular comment, and I'm a huge to a fan, but you know, he's been okay in Miami. Yeah, but he's our only uh, has he though? Because well, David look, he didn't beat Jacksonville, and he didn't beat Atlanta, hold and on, his turnovers. Hold, hold, hold on a sec. First of all, I thought we just went over that wins wasn't a quarterback stat. Okay, now it is. Okay, well, all right. well, let's play the contradiction. How about those turnovers in Atlanta directly related to 10 points? But did he not still leave the field and give Brian Flores and defense the lead? He did. Okay. But so the lead against, the Jags, against the Jags. Uh, oh, hey, the, but that happens. That's football, bro. Any given Sunday. I hear you, but here, here's my question. No, Justin many- Herbert, everyone loves Justin Herbert. He's thrown literally game-sealing interceptions in the end zone. I hear you, but he's also thrown 300 yards and three touchdowns. Oh, I'm not arguing that at all. I'm just saying it happens to even the guy that just won the rookie of the year is what I'm saying. But what I'm saying on top of that is Tua dug himself out. Now, did Tua do himself any favors and were they ill-timed? interceptions no he didn't do himself in his favors in their ill-timed interceptions but with the time he had left he dug himself out of the hole as best as he could brian flores is a defensive genius he gave them the football with the lead they're the ones who didn't hold it for the second week in a row might i add on the final drive in the fourth quarter and we're not even going to talk about the jaguars game because the last four minutes urban meyer out coached brian flores and Brian Flores' mismanagement of timeouts in terms of challenging and using them for so so formations can be shifted cost us that game. And here's the thing: everyone wanted Tua to put up numbers. Tua put up numbers because I thought when he was seven and three, co- wins wasn't a quarterback stat. But now it's oh, he put up the numbers, but he lost. And well, I think everything you said is fair. And here's I think everything. Here's well, here's my thing, bro. He had only played literally a dozen games at that time. And you look at that second interception in that Atlanta game. He looked defeated on that sideline. Me and one of my best friends have talked about it multiple times. Shout out to Eric. We, we've talked about it multiple times. He looked like it was over. And then all of a sudden, he turned it on with two scoring drives. And I, I even I was like, after that second interception, I'm like, this kid's done. He brings us out. We, we, we win. And then our defense can't play complimentary football when you need him to. And it is what it is. But he did all that with the Watson stuff because the trade deadline hadn't passed, still hanging over his head with everything going on. And then he had outside noise and he had self-conflicted adversity by two bad picks he threw. And he still overcame them, put the narrative. Why do you think... Why do you think they flashed to Brian Flores two or three times on that drive where Atlanta scored that game-winning field goal and Flores was losing his his crap while our defense was giving up chunk plays because he knew, oh, crap, 
this kid turned it around. It's back on me and my defense, and we're not getting it done right now. Like well, you're dropping back in the zone on third and ten, and giving the middle of the field to Kyle Pitts. What do you? What, who, who's like? I get the second completion to Kyle Pitts because that was a perfect throw. But that third and ten zone coverage call, I don't know what Boyer or Flores was calling there, but like you gave Kyle Pitts the middle of the field, easy completion, and now the chains start moving, and it's a wrap for us. Like. You know, here's the thing. Did he have self-conflicted wounds? Yay. If he didn't throw those two picks, that would have been an A-plus game. But it's still a B-minus game for me because he put us back into a position to win. But that's exactly my point, right? So, so we did that like we, 12 games into his career, bro. We didn't dress all this to, uh, shit. Herbert Burrow, um, even Sam Darnold never had to deal with Watson noise, bro. Oh. That is fair, and I agree. The, the Dolphins have mishandled him. He's miscoached. I agree with everything you're saying, but we also didn't draft Tua at five, and you and I didn't have scouting reports on him thinking that he was going to be a B-minus quarterback, right? So, well, I like, agree. I 110% agree. So some of it is – because, because, listen, I'm going to explain this. When, when you don't have the physical traits that Josh Allen or Justin Herbert is, and your whole game is predicated on being a lead from the neck up, that transition to the SEC – to the NFL, you still need coaching and development. You can only reach your ceiling so much on what you know coming out of college. The fact is we've had Robbie Brown and now Charlie Fry and these offensive coordinators between Chan Gilly and where we're at this year. And then you look at the personnel he's had. You go look at the LSU game. The LSU game is a perfect example of Tua Tungvalu's career. His last in his last in his last season at Alabama, first half, what did they do? Saban dropped him back and passed all game. They got behind. Second half, what happened? They ran the football, predicated the pass off the run, and then he torched them and outplayed Joe Burrow vastly. And if Jerry, Jerry Judah doesn't drop that pass, they win that game. And so that's what is it he needs. I told you this before we went live, right? Like, you know, he, it's not about who's cat. People are always cat always throwing to, you know, these all first round receivers. It was never about the receivers. It was about the same thing as the Tannehill f- formula. That's the same formula for 95%. And what they were even trying to do in Houston was establish a run game and protect your quarterback. If you build your offensive line and have a good running game in terms of commitment and because the offensive line is good, you run the football, then Tua will flourish in your system. And the problem is it's Tua, like before we, went, before we started the season, bro, we both agreed. I think we talked about it live. Tua is not a guy that's meant to drop back 30 or 40 times. You want Absolutely him throwing, not. You want him throwing between like, 20 to 26, maybe 28 times a game. He's not, a, and, and then that's what they're doing, bro. Like, like, and then we see what we see in the preseason. We saw more of a progression-based offense, but then we saw RPO sprinkled in. Now we're seeing it's more of an RPO predominantly, and maybe that is because of the offensive line because they want to get the ball out quick. But, you know, you're not helping his development. I need him to get off play designs and only have one or two reads. I need him to have three or four reads, and I need those routes to not be congested to one side. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I, I need you to test the defense with. You see, they finally tested the D, the second level with Waddle on a crosser this week, and Brissett found it. Like, why isn't Tua getting that stuff called for him? Like, you know, like you, you just. You, multiple things need to be happening and they're not same thing with Christian Wilkins. Let's get off the quarterback for a second. I'm just going to use this. This is my analogy because people focus on just the quarterback. If you look at the 2019 and the 2020 draft, the three most productive players, I would say as of 
November 11th, okay, because we just crossed the midnight mark, all right, are out of those, I can't count UDFAs. I got to count out of the draft class, okay? Guys, they actually selected. I can't count 2021 because none of those guys, we have a small sample size, all right? So out of 2020 and 20, so out of 2019 and 2020 draft class, the three guys that are producing for you, like four guys, okay, sorry, I'll say after this weekend, Brandon Jones, Tuatunga Valoa, um, Miles Gaskin, and Christian Wilkins, okay? Christian Wilkins still has holes in his game. He is, has not turned into the consistent pass rusher we wanted him to turn into because he hasn't been coached up in those areas properly, all right? Miles Gaskin, he hasn't got the reps, and he doesn't have the offensive line to turn into what he could possibly turn into, even though I've always been saying all, best, all along, he's he could be one of the best complimentary backs. I don't think. Yeah, I, I, I don't think Matt Miles Gaskin is you know, you know, good. But but like you know, but then like I think he is. But as a complimentary back, they're not using him properly, right? So again, another guy where they're not using him properly, right? So and then you look at Brandon Jones. Yes, he's a great blitzer, but you know, in a, in, from a Coverage wise, from last year, he's not been as good as he was last year. Even he's kind of regressed a little bit. So my whole point is, you can when I can point to multiple positions on both sides of the ball and say even your best contributors who are contributing at a pretty consistent rate. I mean, Tua. Let's be honest. If I told you over his first thirteen starts and first fifteen games, he would have thrown for over twenty eight hundred yards. 19 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, and four rushing touchdowns, you would probably take that. Okay. Well, I'd be, I'd be disappointed with the touchdown output for sure. I think but, that's like. But, but then if I told you what the situation was around you and gave you context, you as a football mind would sit back and be like, oh, well, no. Because here's the thing. Because here's the reality. He's put up better numbers over the first 13 starts and first 15 games of any rookie quarterback. Since Dan Marino to come through here, and it's like if you look at his first thirteen games, he's where Tannehill was in year four, year five already. Yeah, I I think he was as he's as good as Tannehill was at year seven. The Watson (laughs) carrot, the Watson carrot, and Herbert being picked right after him, and Burrow playing well. Yeah, but okay, but I've had this conversation with you and I and my buddy Eric. We all weren't blown away by Burrow. Until he had that massive game a couple weeks ago where Jamar Chase had over. We weren't blown away before Chase had that 200 plus yard games. And then he comes crashing back down to earth against the Jets. But he's also got a shit coach, right? And a terrible offensive line, too. Yeah, like, but guess what? He's got great weapons. Yeah. And you know what? Their offensive line is actually better than what our offensive line okay. is. Me, you, me, you, and three of the guys that you do podcasts with, we could make a better line than the freaking Dolphins have. <laughs> we, we, we could just get trampled. But, okay, this is why I call Christian Wilkins and Tua. I think they're like roses blooming out of the concrete right now because not only do they have bad personnel around them, I mean, we have the second highest paid receiving corps, so they can't stay healthy. We got the second lowest paid um offensive line because we spent all these draft resources to it, but yet they're the, they can stay healthy, but yet they're the worst offensive line in the NFL. The running back game, the running back committee can't get anything going because the offensive line is crap, and then our coaches don't commit to them when they do get it going to over five yards of carry. Like, all through all that, to is still putting up the numbers he's doing, and you know what? 
people need to realize, yes, he's year two. I get that. I'm not arguing that. But as a player-wise, like in terms of game experience, he's still technically game experience. He hasn't even played in 16, let alone started 16 yet. So he's going to be a little bit, you know, not where these other guys are. So, um, you know, because let's be honest. Hey, you you know, all I, all I know is let's let's talk about Herbert. And this is not to knock him, but this would help this transition. Where's our Pep Hamilton? Sure. Now he gets a new coaching staff. Joe Lombardi, who worked with Drew Brees for four years, is his, is his offensive coordinator. Like actual guys with proven track records, like around legitimate quarterbacks. And we are having to go to like the depths of like Michigan to find Charlie Fry. And then on top of that, all we got is Godsey and in Studesville, and it's it, it's, well, it's the worst coaching staff in football, and it's the worst yeah, offensive it line. It's, that's it. Well, well I, I agree with all of it, but with that said, there's still times where, like you know, I I think Tua just needs to be a little bit better. And and look, oh, he's I got. Agree. I agree. He needs to and, and then you know, it's a good, good segue into kind of you know we're at the midseason here, and, and you know we're no we're what two and seven football team, and there's not a lot of good grades to give out. You know, for me, at the midway point of the season, where I give Tua. And, you know, it, it sucks that we haven't get, got to see him play in four of the games, but I have him at a B minus right now for the year. That's kind of where I have him. And I have Jacoby Brissett as a D. And, you know, I, I think Jacoby Brissett has put a lot on the line and played well. Terrible. But you know, but his, I mean. That's I, I, he, a bad quarterback, okay? I, I mean, yeah, he, he's awful. Honestly, like I, when we signed him, I even expect I wasn't the biggest fan of him. I knew it was going to be a huge step down from Fitz. I didn't expect him to be that bad. I don't think. I, I think I it's kind of he holds the ball that low. Well, he, he holds, holds the, the ball. ball. He's indecisive. He he misses routes. He's not you know he doesn't have a high football IQ, and, and and it's obvious. So like when you're talking about having a B minus for a guy who's only played in half the games, and the other guy has a D, and you average those together, you know, you're in a mid C to a C minus grade at the quarterback position, and you're not going to win a lot of football games with that. And, and you know, I, I don't know where you have him grade, but like if you look down well, the I offense, agree. I actually I would put I would have two out of B minus. I agree with that. B minus to C plus. And then I would have Jacoby um I would have Jacoby at probably like a D minus. Like I think I, I call him Jabroni Brisket. I mean, <laughs> I mean he, he I and he's god awful, bro. Well, I like, think Tua, Tua, B minus performance, C plus is where uh, because of the availability issue right now. See, I, I gave him a B minus factor in the availability because I'm factoring in things like how he has no fucking chance with the coaching and the play call, and that's, that's where, why I would agree with your B minus. I'm. You know, I, I would agree with you, B minus. I could go B minus or C plus either way. And, and, and if you look, so like we could let's just run do it by position. So at the running back position, yeah. Miles Gaskin, you know, I give him a B minus as well because uh, I think he's a really good complimentary player. His yeah. vision's not great, um, but he's definitely the most productive. Malcolm Brown, I give a D minus to. And honestly, for Salvin Ahmed, I have an incomplete. I just haven't really seen him do enough. Like the only thing I remember about him is dropping the one pass in the flat. I think he's a better football player than that. So I have an incomplete, but like there again's another position where you're looking at a C minus D grade. And, you know, we have no semblance of a running game. Yeah. The running back position, um, miles Gaskin, I was, you know, like 
on, uh, you know, when he'd get a handful of carries or 12 carries or whatever, averaging over five yards, you know, a carry, I was pushing for him to get the ball more. Um, I would give him um, a C. Um, Salvin Ahmed, I would actually give a C minus because I have seen bursts from him when he gets a chance. The thing is, they don't give him a ton of chances. Yeah, he doesn't get a lot of shots. Uh, Malcolm Brown, I agree with you on your D minus. Um, overall, that group, I think a lot of it too is because they can't get into a rhythm as a committee, and you know because, I mean we don't commit to them. We, we, even when we establish the run, we don't commit to them. And I mean, yeah. And then you go to the wide receiver core. Oh. I mean, you know, DVP, Preston Williams, lump them in however you want DVP, you know, he always had again, a good <laughs> man. Like it's just, you know, Jalen Waddle, I give an a because I'm going to give, give an a plus. I'm going to give a, a, a Jalen Waddle an a plus. Okay. Because he's still been able to produce, and yet they've all been just throwing him hitches, curls, and screens, and they haven't even been testing the top of defenses with them. I'm loving Matt Collins this year. I'm going to give Matt Collins a B plus. I give those two guys good grades. Um, now DVP, sorry, I'm going to be harsh D because you're never available. Preston Williams, I'm giving you an F. Get off my team. Right, I got um, an F for him as well. Kirk Merritt incomplete. Albert Wilson incomplete because it's not he's not targeted. Like all these targets to go around, and I've done film breakdowns on my channel, YouTube channel, where Albert gets open, but they don't find him. Yeah, uh, well, I, I got it's funny, man. We're on the same page. I, I gave Jalen Waddle a B plus because I I actually think Jalen Waddle is among the top five misutilized players in the whole NFL. I That's think how, he is the most underutilized. I mean, player in the and, NFL. And, and he's still on pace to maybe set the NFL receptions record. He's still producing. They turned him into Jarvis Landry two point It's a crying. It's a goddamn shame. And again, <laughs> another indictment on the coaching. Like. This is what I'm saying. Not just the quarterback, but other positions and other premium players like this guy who's a goddamn Ferrari aren't being coached properly and used properly. Like, this is an issue beyond the quarterback, and this is why the coaching staff needs to go. But, yeah, and, and I think that we're going to see a huge jump from him next year depending on whatever happens at the quarterback and the coach. And I just think Dude, you give this guy to, a, to hold down. You, yo, you give him to a Shanahan Oh yeah, you he's, he'll be tearing it up. You, you give him to a McVeigh, buddy. Come, you give him to an Andy Reid. Oh God. Well, you you named a guy that you gave a B plus to, and Mac Hollins, and I do too, man. Like I think he's a guy that we should look to lock up for for a reasonable deal. He's a yep. a special teams ace. He's a better receiver than giving credit for. In Philadelphia, gets healthy in Miami and outlasts DVP. But I'll tell you, so I got a B plus on him. I gave Parker C minus just because he did flash that potential against Buffalo uh, again. Um, but everyone else, I'm talking Albert Wilson, Preston Williams. Um, I'm not going to, I'm incomplete on Kurt Merritt and Will Fuller. I give just straight out F's because I Albert, like, you made me look bad. Yeah. And Will Fuller. I mean, what a, what a disappointing situation. There's way more than the injury there. We've already talked about that, but he, he, he you know, good riddance Rick in the offseason. Look at this. Two got a swollen finger, fractured finger, throwing hand. Wants to play last week. Wants to play this week. Yeah. Will Fuller doesn't even want to sniff our practice field. Oh man, you're Will telling Fuller. me he wants oh. to be in Miami? No, he got ten million dollars and he doesn't care. But yeah, you know, let's go to the tight ends because honestly, like I got Mike, a crow. He, 
Let's Mike Gusecki's been an A. Mike Gusecki. I got to eat crow because I thought our wide receivers were going to stay healthy and this, and they were going to be used properly like Waddle and Fuller. They haven't been. Guys haven't been healthy. And for the second year in a row, Gusecki has made most of his targets. He's out here doing the air Gusecki pose. The Michael wow. Jordan catching in. The chemistry he's built with Tua, I think even Tua together could eventually turn into a game-changing combo, bro. Like, I was off the board of, I don't still don't think they're going to sign him. I think they should franchise him. But he's shown you what DVP, Preston, and all these other jabronis haven't is, yes, he might not be a good route, uh, route runner. Yes, he might not be a good blocker. But he is damn reliable, and he's got he got stickum born in his hands. Pay this man. Get rid of DVP. Get rid of those jabronis. He's actually earned money, even though, again, another player that, though they didn't draft, they've had in their hands for three years. And as a blocker and as a route runner, he has not got better at, and those are coachable. You can coach those areas up, and they have not allowed got him better in those areas. I want to say something crazy here, man, because as bad as this year has been, if I'm starting a team from scratch and I'm not really, I don't really care about what have you done in the past. I'm caring about what you're going to do in the future at the position. I take Travis Kelsey, number one. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to tell you something really crazy. I think I take Mike Gusecki over Darren Waller and George Kittle because I think that he is being produced, being productive. Despite having Jacoby Brissett miss him, probably Jacoby Brissett's probably missed him on over 200 yards of receiving yards and and a couple touchdowns. But hold on, but hold on, hold on. Tua Gusecki's having games similar to what he was having when Fitzpatrick was here this year. When absolutely Tua no, they have a rapport, man. You can see it. And and you know what? One thing that we're not even talking about is Mike Gusecki's stepping up as a leader of this team. He's in defense of his quarterback. He's not afraid to get in front of the media and say what he feels. I, I'm a, I'm a Mike Gusecki guy. I have turned I, into this season. I have turned into a Mike Gusecki fan. I will eat crow and admit that. And then the other guys, Shaheen and Durham Smythe are C's, and Hunter Long is an incomplete. And, and well, I give Gusecki because I'm giving him an A. A, oh, an A, an A for yeah, sure. Mike Gusecki's been an A. He's been the diamond in the rough for this offense. I, you know, I think Gusecki and Waddle are the building blocks for a good pass and attack. And whether that's Tua, Watson, Aaron Rodgers. You need that other, you need that, you need that big bodied. Well, man, you know this, right? Like I'm all about cutting Deshaun Watson and saving seven. I mean, not Deshaun Watson. Good Lord. Devontae Parker and saving $7 million and going out and getting an Allen Robinson in the offseason. But we'll get to that. We'll break down those bears. Now let's have some fun here, man. The offensive line. F. Austin Jackson. F. Can I give him a G? Can I give him a G? Like, yeah. I don't even. Is he there is, a Z? Is there a Z available? A Z? Yeah. F for him. I know Liam Meikenberg's a rookie, F. but I don't care. F. F, F for sure. Jesse um, Davis, F. F. Jesse Davis, like. F. Those guys are Fs, and there's no. There's no middle ground. They are they've been absolutely awful. Robert Hunt, I give a C plus too. I think he's better, but I think he is he's I'm having a hard, C minus. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so that's well. fair. Um, you know, Michael Dieter, I was gonna actually gonna give him a B minus. Um and I know I'm that's him a C. Okay, and then I give Mans and Reader or uh, 
reader both C's. C plus for I reader. Get, I get, yeah, I got them as C. I got them both as C's as well. And um, the offensive line's an F, though. Yeah, they're, yeah, overall, as a unit, they're an F. Yeah. They're the worst unit in all of football. Um, I don't care if you have to the city of Miami. You can you can actually line up an offensive formation where you have Lamar Jackson and Pat Mahomes both as your quarterbacks, and you're still not going to be successful behind this offensive line. Like yeah. they can't do anything. I, I mean, you could have you could actually have an offensive line where you had five starters, and then they say, you know what, we feel sorry for you, Dolphins. We'll let you line up seven offensive linemen, and this team's still going to get their asses kicked because they're just not good. They're not coached. They have no fundamentals. They don't have an IQ or an aptitude of what they're doing. <laughs> They're lost. This offensive line is a disgrace to the NFL. It's a disgrace to the Miami Dolphins. And th they are the Achilles heel of why this season went away. The coaching is awful, and we know that. But this offensive line literally did not even put up a fight this year in the first half of the season. Oh, I pray okay. that we see a miracle. I, I think that the line should be this for, for tomorrow night's matchup. Greg Little, Austin Jackson. Austin Reader, Robert Hunt, and then Liam Eikenberg. And if Austin Jackson st struggles, get me Robert Jones in there and let's see what we have. I am so tired of this offensive line. You know, I, Jesse Davis went from being a good story in Miami when he was like the sixth offensive lineman that had a spot fill to being probably one of the players I loathe most most yeah. in my in, as my fan as a as a Dolphin because. He's the reason to miss three games. He's the reason that these Deshaun Watson uh, rumors are so loud. He he literally, outside of Brian Flores in that front office, has done more to hamper Tua here in Miami than any other player. Mm -hmm. And I know that, like you know, he has a heart, and that he doesn't. He, it's not like his goal to go out there and do it. But that doesn't escape the fact that this AJ is a production business. I'm not here for heart. Right, AJ Epinesa had a clean shot. And literally fractured to his ribs because you didn't even put up a fight. Yeah. Sorry to go nuts there. But like I actually think there's some good stories to tell on the defensive line. Like, I'll say this. I got an A here for a guy named Emmanuel Ogba, right? Like, I think he is that man. He's been phenomenal this year, man. Like, yeah. I honestly like sometimes forget that he's even on our team. And I'm like, who the hell is that Cameron Wake wearing 91? Like causing all that pressure. He's been great. Uh, I got Christian Wilkins as a B plus. Zach Sealer is a B. And honestly, like this hurts me because I think the guy has so much potential. I actually have a C minus for Raekwon Davis at this point. Um, and, and Adam Butler and those guys, like I, you know, I'm not going to give grades out to these rotational guys. If they've done good, I'll give them their kudos. If they've been awful, I'll, I'll talk about it. But like, I think overall the defensive line's been really solid. Uh yeah. Um, Ogba, you know. Um, ninth amongst edge players and pressures with 35. How many sacks? Um, how many sacks for Ogba right now? Yeah. Um, I don't have that in front of me. I'll pull it up. I know, I know he had two this week, right? Yeah, he had two this week as uh, Tyrod tripped. Yeah, that was um, good. I'll work on that while you're giving your grades. He has five. He's, he's got five on the season. Five yeah, five sacks. He had two and a half against Houston. Yeah, um, I mean, phew. yeah. Um, so he's got that those sacks. Um, you know, Christian Wilkins number one in the NFL in run stops with twenty four. Zach Seiler um, is tied for number two in the NFL. Sorry, <laughs> what Wilkins has twenty one. 
what a fine for Wilkins. And then Zach Seiler is number two in the NFL with 18 run stops. So I think uh, Ogba has been an A plus pay him. I think Christian Wilkins, I'm going to give him a B plus because I still want more of a consistent pass rush from him. I think Zach Seiler has been a B plus. Um, I agree with you, Raekwon, especially since he returned since the injury. To me, he's been at like a C level. Something's wrong, um, right? Something's think, off there. Yeah, Adam Butler and John and Jenkins. I think those two guys have given us B B level. Um, yeah, Jenkins so. better be active tomorrow with with a run heavy Baltimore, right? Like yeah, he's been yeah, an effective back to back games. He's yeah. a guy that you know sit no Igbenogany down again and get John Jenkins on the field. Yeah. Now switch into the linebackers here, and let's throw AVG and Phillips in there, bro. Yeah, we're gonna have a lot of um, in the pens so here, Phillips, right? <laughs> Phillips, I actually, I know a lot of people. So I did a film study on Phillips. Phillips has been fantastic, bro. He's second amongst um, rookie edges behind Owe, correct? With twenty-one, yep. He is having a phenomenal season, and I'm actually gonna give him a B plus. I think a lot of people are sleeping and you saw like, look at how he flushed. A lot of people don't realize that he's actually who um, forced that tie rod interception to Baker. He flushed tie rod out. Yeah. And you know what? He did, that, like, really good, he did a yeah. really good job of pursuit there. And I'll say, I'll say and this. You look I, at him in the Jags game too. But I mean, I mean, you look at this guy right now, dude. I mean, let's talk about this right now. He's got um, 21 pressures, right? He's um he he's also number two in the rookie class tied for with uh, Joe Tyron Tryon for um QB hits and you look at quarterback hurries he's number three in his draft class so he's actually doing a lot better than what people want to kind of give him credit for and I think Van Ginkle I've actually been really disappointed and I think he's one of those players in the 2019 2020 draft class that I was alluding to to me that has regressed um he's you awful. know and then Jerome Baker I think he's been awful but you see how they've made him more of an off-ball blitzer now and they've taken away responsibility out of him um I think Landon Roberts has been okay so you know if we're going to go grades wise with these guys um I am going to give a B plus to Phillips. I'm going to give a C minus to Van Ginkle. A Landon Roberts. I'm going to go ahead and give a C minus, and I'm going to give a D to Baker. I think they're the reason why our run defense has had issues at times this season. And more importantly, Landon Roberts and Baker with the run defense. Yeah, and I have the same exact grades on everybody but Jerome Baker, and I gave him a C minus, and I think he has been poor this season, but I I think he's also been very misutilized mis, uh, and I think he's been better the last couple of weeks and I actually think his interception last night I mean last week ultimately won us that game, but back to Jalen Phillips because it's a really interesting dynamic, you know everyone watches a primetime game and you know oh we really should have drafted Najee Harris over Jalen Phillips and, I, and I'm here to tell you that I think that's not correct. I think if you can do that draft pick again, getting Jalen Phillips at 18 was an absolute steal, and that's not being disrespectful to Najee Harris. But, you know, we all want, you know, our rookie pass rusher to break Michael Strahan's all-time sack record in, in his first, right, uh, a season sack record in his first year, but that's not how it works. Like, he needs to get home more, there's no doubt about it, and that will come. The amount of pressure that he's applying, and, and you know, he... he 
he's developing so nicely. If his you, counter move, he just needs to rely on his counter repertoire more. Like he sets just, the he, edge, really, man. Really relying on the bull rush. That's that's an issue. He, he, he sets the edge. He plays a good game. You know, he you know, I, look. Let's say he ends up with five sacks on the year. I mean, that's a good first year for a young player. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and like, I, I mean, I couldn't be. I I honestly think this. As much as I want to, you know, bash Chris Greer, and, and you know have him canned and all the stuff we've talked about. I do think he nailed the first three draft picks of this. I draft. agree. 110%. <laughs> they're all going to be game changers, bro. Javon Holland. I Let's mean, I've been, talking about, I've been talking about Javon Holland for two years now. Um, I, I, you know, when people were loving on Herbert's um, on Herbert, you know, the few that were when, cause I had to watch a lot of Oregon games. I fell in love with Javon Holland. I am a huge Javon Holland fan. Um, I, I think Javon Holland, I'm giving him an A. His sideline, the sideline speed, his instincts, his ability to lay the lumber. Um, I think, and, and look at the responsibilities they've put on him, and he's answered the call. So I think Javon Holland has been fantastic. I'm going to give him an A. Um, Brandon Jones, as a blitzer, he's an A. The rest of his game right now is confusing to me. It's like at a C plus. I don't like him as much as I liked him last year in terms of coverage and stuff. Roe looks like he's regressed. He's at a C minus level. Um, you know, you look at X, I think X has played at about like, I'm going to give him a B minus. He's not what he was last year, but he's made big plays and timely plays for us. Byron Jones, I'm going to give him a B. I think he's been, he's been solid at times. Um, yeah. Needham again. C plus he's been very hit or miss. He's either been really locked down and really good, or he's been chasing Justin Coleman. This guy is starting to pick the football now, all of a sudden um, I'm going to give Justin Coleman a C because again, he was getting torched really bad early on in the year. Um, so overall it's been pretty hit or miss for me with the secondary, but I do think Jalen Phillips and Javon Holland and talking about the secondary are two of the biggest bright spots. And I agree with you that these three picks, Jalen Waddle, Jalen Phillips and Javon Holland are going to be knocked out of the park. It's just after that Hunter Long can't see the field and Eichenberg's a disaster, uh, but yo, I think I'm Hunter Long is going to be a player long haul though. I do think Hunter I, Long's I think he will. I think he'll be solid. I think he'll be solid. I don't think he's going to be a world breaker, but I think he'll be solid. But anyways, to your point about the secondary and the grade, you know, overall, you know, it's been very hit or miss this year, but I like what I'm seeing with Javon Holland. Howard's made timely plays. Byron's been pretty good. Needham's been hit or miss. Justin Coleman looks like he's getting better. Rowan McCordy have been a disappointment this year. Um, so yeah, those are my grades for the, for the secondary. I think Javon Holland has been our best second and most consistent secondary. Well, yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty close. So yeah, I, I give it Xavier Howard a B cause he did, he did help us win that new England game. And you know, he, he does have a couple picks Byron Jones. I have a B Nick Needham. I have a C plus. We didn't even talk about him, but I'm giving him an F no egg, just because he doesn't see oh, the yeah. field. Eric Rowe gets a C. I got a B plus on Javon Holland. I got a B on Brandon Jones. And McCourty, I mean, Justin Coleman, I got a C, and then I had a C for McCourty, even though he's going to be out for a while. But I, I think I do think that our secondary is going to look a lot different next year, where I think the the safety tandem of Brandon Jones and Holland's probably going to stay. I think Byron Jones is going to be here. I, I think we're going to trade X. I, I'm actually surprised that we didn't move him for the first rounder that Baltimore was offering based off the fact that I heard we didn't want to eat 
a majority of the salary and, you know, trade X, but it, it was kind of um, eye opening that Baltimore was willing to do that. Uh, Cause I think they know they're a corner away and, and getting a guy like Howard would help. Hopefully they can get that kind of compensation in the off season. And this isn't a knock on Xavier Howard, just a, a 30 year old cornerback with a big, uh, contract and two two ACLs, like you know, he's not going to be long for the team, and I don't think the uh, Miami's going to acquiesce and pay him again in this offseason. So I think they're going to be heading for a divorce. Eric Rowe, we say five million dollars against the cap if we cut him, so I think he'll be gone. So I do think, like you know, you'll see a lot of people working on their mock drafts. I, I am telling you, do not sleep on the cornerback position. Depending on where Miami picks, you know, there could be a, a Derek Stingley. There could be Andrew Booth from Clemson, uh, the Elam kid from Florida, Sauce Gardner from Cincinnati. Like, do not sleep on the Miami Dolphins draft in a corner high in this year draft if they do trade Xavier Howard. But, you know, let's go to the special teams because I'm giving a C- minus to Jason Sanders and a D- minus to Michael Pilardi. Um, Michael Pilardi is one of the worst punters I've seen come through um, and a significant downgrade to Matt, Matt Hawk um, and Jason Sanders went from being an all pro to just kind of looking like a, a pedestrian kicker in the NFL. I'm, I'm I, I think out of anybody that I can talk about on the dolphins, he's actually probably the player I'm disappointed in most as Jason Sanders. I think a couple of his misses have actually cost us a game or two, um, I hope that he can turn it around, but you know, I don't know about you, but uh, the special teams unit that I thought was going to be gold this year has been a significant disappointment. Yeah. I mean, look at Sanders. I mean, who thought it would be, you know, we'd be talking about the amount of blocked punts and missed punts. We've been dealing, uh, sorry, missed field goals and um, blocked field goals we've had. And then you talk about the punter, Michael Pilardi, um, Pilardi has been, I remember weren't people bragging about, you know, reporters bragging about his leg strength during training camp. And I'm wondering what happened to that. Cause I'm not seeing that. Um, I, you know, I'm actually going to go considering we paid Jason Sanders. I'm going to be as harsh as I was on Baker. I'm going to give him a D plus Pilardi. I'm going to give him a D minus. I, I just think these guys haven't been that good. Um, and I just think there's no way around it. Um, you know, last year, um, special teams was really big for us. You know, um, now they had a couple of slip ups, most notably in the Vegas game. And then obviously in that final bills game finale last year, but special teams has kind of let us down, um, to what now, like, you know, well, I'll, I'll give you my lowest grade now. So even lower than the offensive line. You want to hear what my grade is for the – it's the, the Brian Flores and his coaching oh, we're doing staff. the coaching staff. Let's go. Brian Flores and the coaching staff and and the whole entire organization of the Miami Dolphins are getting an F-minus from me. What they've done to cause the quarterback controversy in Miami, like they practically forced – are in the process of forcing to a tongue of a low out out of Miami without starting 15 games yet. And I, 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 I like, even if they were interested in Deshaun Watson, 
you keep the things in house. You don't let it become the spectacle that a spectacle if that we it were became. If you the Patriot way, it would have never came out like this. But if you want them so bad, then make the damn trade. Like what you did was so embarrassing. You know when when you're getting called out on national television by the likes of Dan Orlovsky and, and and others that are great football minds, and they're like, I have no idea what the Miami Dolphins' identity is on offense. I have no idea what they're doing. They look like a JV team. They have three offensive coordinators. All of this crap that we have caused is because the coaching and the front office and the owner now, because I'm done giving Stephen Ross a pass, have failed this organization, its players, and its fan base. They, the players, honestly, this talent, like I am going to say something that's going to sound even nuts. If the if the only task was fixing the offensive line in the offseason and we had a good coach, I think this is a playoff roster. I thought it was a, a playoff roster when we entered the season. I picked them to go to 11 and 6. I don't think, even though they have holes, and every team in football has holes, I don't think this is just a talent. This is a coaching. This is a dysfunctional organization. You said rotten to the core. I think it's even beyond that. It's been rotten so long for this franchise that I don't know if the people that are in the building have an opportunity, nowhere to start, or even have a chance to fix it. I think Stephen Ross has to really consider selling this football team, and I think we need a completely new front office, a completely new coaching staff. And to your and point earlier, a succession plan in place. So. If you want, if you want Tua to be out of the equation, and you're the new GM, and you're the footballs are, I'm not even going to be mad about it. No, I'm not going to be mad at any decision they make. I want somebody to come and do what Bill Parcells did in 2008 with this team and just Newsom in Baltimore, right? And clean house. But so F F minuses for everyone involved in the front office and coaching staff. And I, I I think Brian is going to get his job secured. I think he'll be back next year. It's not what I would do, but um, you know, I have to give him this and reason. I know this is really hard to hear because I can't believe I'm saying this. But in his time in Miami, he's actually been a, a good coach more of the time than he's not. Just when he hasn't been, it's been absolutely atrocious. So it's like it's it's recency bias a little bit on my end. But like Yeah, but we look worse right now than ever three than we did in the ever. teardown ever. year. That's an issue. Than ever. So we got the Ravens this weekend. Oof. Um and the Ravens, obviously their weakness right now is they have the 31st passing defense, but they have the fifth-best rush defense. They also have the third-best third-down defense. Offensively, this is the number one rushing attack because, you know, you look at the committee, the Tyson Williams, um, Devontae Freeman, and Le'Veon Bell, as a committee between those three guys, they're averaging 4.7 yards, so the running backs can get it done as well as Lamar, who's – Already thrown for over 2,200 yards. He's rushed for over 600. They got the eighth best passing offense. You know, they second best yards per game offense. They, you know, they average 27.6 points per game, which is seventh best. This is a legit, legit team we're going up against. Um, I know it's been ugly over the last few starts. In fact, September 8, 2019, 59 to 10 loss, where Marquise Brown and Lamar Jackson just dominated us. It was, it was um, Mika Fitzpatrick's practically swan song because he was out of yeah. position getting burnt, or if you, we recall that one. Yeah. So, I mean, we're going against the real deal here on primetime. I personally don't think we can be competitive or stand a chance without Tua. Um, 
Neil, do you think Tua starts? And what is your prediction on the outcome for this game? And then I'll give you my complicated prediction. Well, the, the home team on Thursday Night Football always seems to be in a good position to win, right? Coming off a short week, the Ravens had an overtime victory that went long into overtime against the Minnesota Vikings. Um, you know, they, they kind of been the, the Cinderella story this year where every game they have goes to overtime. Uh, getting off the slow starts is something that's happened, but then Lamar Jackson comes in the second half and is practically Superman. Um, you know, I would love to be able to get on here and tell everyone that I think the Miami Dolphins are going to pull off this marvelous upset, but you know, we're, we're going against the best coach team in football. If it for was 2020, mind. you would have. Right. Yeah. I, I think we're going against the best coach team in football. Lamar Jackson's hot. Um, you know, and, and like, you know, our, our coaches are can't match up with Baltimore. Um, you know, I, I actually think this is going to be a bloodbath, whether we had Tua, whether we have Jacoby Brissett, or if we they let us have Deshaun Watson for this game, I don't think the Dolphins have a chance to win this game. I, I do think that Brissett's going to start because you know why? Because everything this front office does and the coach staff frustrates me. I'd love to see Tua go out there and have a chance to, to – make a stake and beat a great football team. But I think we're going to have, um, you know, four horrible quarters of Jacoby Brissett. I think Baltimore has beat us something like 138 to 16 in the last three matchups. So all that said, I'm picking Baltimore to win 45 to 13. Um, I, I think we probably get a lucky touchdown late. Um, but I, I think that, my, that they're going to have their way with us. Lamar Jackson is probably going to run and pass pretty much all over us. Um, you know, you mentioned some of the things Baltimore does, but like, you know, it, it just shows you what a good organization can do. They've lost Ronnie Stanley for the year. Uh, they traded away Orlando Brown. They're on their third string right tackle. They've had Villanueva is one of their weaknesses. He's allowed 32 pressures on that left side this year. Yeah. And, but you know, they plug and play these guys. Um, you know, they lose JK Dobbins and Gus Edwards and they're just signing people off the street yet. Their running game still elite. Hollywood Brown, guys, I, a guy that a lot of people in Baltimore wanted out after Detroit and he dropped those touchdowns. He, he is playing, yards right now. He's playing at an all-pro level. He looks great. Um, that's a tough matchup for our corners for Watch, sure. Rashad Bateman's going to have his first 100-yard game of his career. I, I think Rashad Bateman gets his first touchdown against us, actually. I, I'm going to be putting a little bit of a wager Andrews on that. Andrews is legit. Mike, well, Mike and, 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 we're not, and Mark Andrews is going to eat against us, too. I, I mean, look, guys, this is a tough game. This was a loss to me when, when I thought we were a playoff team. Uh, the Baltimore Ravens just have our number. They have for a while. So I, I, I'm going to give it, you know, the score that I said. I, you know, something like probably 42 to 16, I think, is where I'm going to end up on this one. And and I hope I'm wrong. You know, always love when our boys are on Thursday night football or, or any prime time. I'm just, I, I, it's the wrong team for me. Guy, why couldn't this game be like the Jets? So I got us. Okay. So if Jacoby starts, we lose 38 13. If Tua starts, we lose 38-33. So I'm going to take the middle ground and have us losing 38-23. Yeah, and I, I think that's all fair. Right? And, 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 like, you know, like the thing about I it. I think like, Tua, we can be competitive. I think without Tua, we can't be. Well, you know what scares me, though? Just think about this, though, like, right? Because we're state, we're facing the same things last year. No Will Fuller, no Devontae Parker. Uh, you know, like there's just yeah, but yo, man, I'm game planning around Waddle and Gasecki and Gaskin out of the backfield and Ackman on wheel routes. And yeah, but here's I'm going from there. Yeah, it, it's just it's such a bad matchup because like what you need to beat Lamar. Because Jackson. what we need to worry about is not just 
Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews and um, Rashad Bateman. They got Sammy Watkins who's playing, and he can come out of the slot, and he's going to give Needham problems, dude. Oh yeah, I mean it, it, it's a look. It's a it's a tough match. Ball like Baltimore. Like honestly, I picked the Buccaneers and Bills in the beginning of the season as my Super Bowl team. If you ask me to repick it right now, I'd probably go with the Buccaneers Ravens. I actually think the Ravens just have some uh, that feel to them right now, even though their numbers look bad and defense. Like trust me, when it comes to crunch time and that team's in, in a tough playoff game, like they their players just rise to the occasion like I, I i you know it's something about what they do and i know that if you listen to this podcast over the last few weeks it sounds like i'm gushing over the ravens you know like look i live here locally i have a lot of access to to the organization i, I get to see them pretty much up close and personal and they run it like a well-oiled machine i know that you've mentioned many times on this show that your dream scenario is to have ozzy newsome as the gm you know like they got that higher right and because of that, they've experienced since 1996 a winning organization that is first class and, and you know, one of the top probably three to five franchises in the NFL. It Hiring your front office, it, it, it all starts there. And, and the Dolphins really need to start thinking long term. I, I like, you know, we can mention names that we like reason. And honestly, it doesn't matter. They have to go and invest, even if they have to hire a consultant agency or somebody to figure out. What is the best way to fix this? Because I can tell you right now, if we go and just hire another first-year coach and we get like a flashy new GM that doesn't have a lot of experience, in a couple years we're going to be right back to the same conversation we're having. Um, you know, I think good news is though, I do think after this Baltimore game, we have a lot of winnable games kind of on the schedule. Carolina, the Giants, twice against the Jets. Um, I, I, honestly, I know the Saints have a good defense, but um, you know, I, I think that you know they're that's a winnable game. I so I, I think the Dolphins can get some W's here down the stretch, and you know, I, I think if we get creamed by Baltimore and Jacoby Brissett, um, you know, get is the starting quarterback. Like, let's keep in perspective that Tool will definitely be back for the following week. The schedule gets a lot easier. And we'll really get a chance to evaluate Tua against, you know, some talent. Because, like, the thing about this game that scares me the most is that, you like, you, you hit on it earlier. Calais Campbell against Austin Jackson. Justin Houston against Jesse Davis. I mean, like, uh, Justin Matabuki, he, he's been great for them. I mean, that that's a really scary matchup. But, you know, let, let, hey, let's see. Like, I hope that you and I have to get on a podcast next week and tell you tell everyone we're the biggest idiots in the world. and. Go, go Dolphins, you pulled off an amazing upset. Um, I just don't see it happening. Um, yeah, I, I don't see it happening either way. Like, either either guy in there, I mean, obviously I had us losing either way. So, I, you know, I just want to see a competitive game, bro. Like, show me that fight. Show me there's still some dog left in you. Hopefully when we meet up next week, man, Hey, it's 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 under good circumstances, and we can celebrate back-to-back victories. Let's make a let's start a rarity this season, a winning streak, Neil. Well, and, um, and, and I'm going to say one thing to kind of close it out. Like this season is frustrating. We're nowhere near where we wanted to be, nowhere we thought we wanted to be. I will tell you that I think this team has a much better nucleus than the outsider perspective is. I, I think that if you think about this team. And I'll take the quarterback out of the situation because that that's a that's a question mark to many. But if you look at this roster, and let's just say on offense you have Waddle, Gasicki, and Robert Hunt. There are three guys that you say I'm utilizing to build the offense. And your core on defense is Zach Seiler, Christian Wilkins, Raquan Davis, Phillips, Agba, 
Byron Jones, Brandon Jones, Javon Holland, and Baker. Like that. I, well, I'm going to put him on there because they signed him, and, and he's obviously part of their plans. I just think that there's a lot of meat on the bones here. It's sure they have needs, but you know what? They have $80 million in cap space, and I can make five cuts and get them to $103 million, and they still have a ton of draft capital. So, like, look, I'm looking in the future. We've had these conversations a lot, but, like, I know it's as frustrating as ever right now to be a Dolphins fan, but, like, I really truly believe that if they can hire the right people, the turnaround can happen a lot faster than we all anticipate. Like getting a good hire as a GM is crucial to where this organization is. A new hire with that GM. Right. That probably spells the end of Brian Flores. Right. And and like, look again, if that's what it has to happen, so be it. But, you know, I know we went long tonight, but I think it was a good media episode. A lot of stuff. I, you know, I personally always like to hear people's, you know, mid season grades, Um, you know, so, you know, sorry that we went a little long, but I know that a lot of people are listening and, and, you know, and reason I, you know, I think that the future in Miami still has potential. Um, You know, it's one of those things that sometimes you have to take a step back to take two forward. And I think what we have, if we look for the underlying success of this season, we realize now that, and if, even if he's back Flores, the arrogance this organization has had towards the running back position in the running game and the offensive line has to be changed. You need to get the running game in Miami, whether it's Tua, whether it's Watson, whether it's Sam Howe or somebody in the draft, right? You need to have a running game established and they need to change their philosophy and really start focusing on building those trenches. We need to be able to win in trench warfare. That, I think, has kind of – I think the owner gets it now. And I think he's going to be around, whether Flores, Greer, Tua, or any of them guys are or not. I think the owner sees it, is that we're just getting manhandled in the trenches. And, and I'll give Stephen Ross this one thing after ripping him earlier. The dude's not afraid to pull out his wallet. Luckily for him, you know, he's like Scrooge McDuck with a ton of money in a bank somewhere. Like, but he will pull out his wallet and put his kind of money where his mouth is. So I, I think there's better days ahead. And, and, you know, like let's bear through tomorrow. And um, I look forward to the game, win or lose. It's always good to have our team on the tube. Love it. Um, and it would be, you know, imagine if Tua played and one tomorrow. Imagine the narrative on Friday morning. Oh, oh I'll be taken off work. Be I'll, be, I'll be hung over, sleeping to three o'clock in the afternoon if that happens. Um, you know, trust me. If Tua wins in Baltimore, I'm going to take off work and walk around in my tiger stripe Zubaz pants with ty- uh, Tua jerseys and show up at all my buddies' offices that are at work doing a little dance in their windows. <laughs> all right, man. Always a good conversation. I love doing this, guys. Hopefully, we get to. Welcome you back in fin too deep next week coming off back to back victories. But until next time, everyone stay happy, healthy, safe and blessed. And it spins up all day, every day.